Coffee and Nosh. It's not just a food truck. It's a crazy cool culture. Welcome to our podcast where we discuss all the things. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get into it. Statistics say that 9 out of 10 businesses fail within the first 3 years. So what does a checkerboard flooring, a 1960s vintage camper, 9 failed businesses, and a Cuisinart espresso machine have to do with coffee and nosh? Stay tuned to find out. Welcome back everybody. This is our first official episode of Heartland Coffee and Nosh podcast. I'm Stacy. I'm Taylor. And first, before we get too far into this, we're going to be doing our startup story today. But first, let's set the stage. Heartland Coffee and Nosh is entering its third season in 2019. Picture a 26-foot-long repurposed FedEx truck now painted sleek black with a giant white vinyl logo and words like homemade sauces and syrups, fresh ingredients, specialty-grade coffee, plastered in big white letters across the driver's side of the truck. And on the passenger side, a giant open window that serves as an ordering window and a place for customers to observe the whir of activity going on inside to bring customers drinks, like lavender lemonade and 14K liquid gold lattes and food items like their signature Ava Bowl and salmon sliders. Coffee and Nosh is a culmination of creator Stacy Orndorff's past businesses, brands, passions, and experiences. In today's episode, we're going to go back to all the things that came before Coffee and Nosh. Here, right, here we go. We hope you can picture what our food truck looks like today because we're going back. Yes, we are. So before we get started, we're going to talk about the humble beginnings of the Coffee and Nosh brand. So Stacy, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about that black and white checkered floor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so when I was in high school, my parents moved to a Victorian house in town. We lived on the farm. And the deal was I got to pick whatever room I wanted because I was a freshman in high school and they didn't think I wanted to move. I actually did. Who doesn't want to live in town? And I got to decorate it however I wanted. And I knew the very first thing I wanted was a black and white checkered floor. And this is an old house, wood floors, but we figured out how to make that checkerboard floor with paint. And one of the first things I did after I I made all these drawings and um, I guess you'd call them vision boards now of what my room was going to look like, the fabrics, because my mom made my bed spread and I picked the color scheme and everything. I was really into interior design and I really thought I was going to go to college to be an interior decorator. And in my closet, we extended the checkerboard floor into my closet. And on one of those squares, I decided to make my very first branded logo and my business name was Parame. Parame. Yeah, what which I mean? I thought I made that word up, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I pronounced it Pareem, P-E-R-I-M-E. Oh. But then later I found out it's actually a French word, and you pronounce it Parame. And it means something like vintage, modern vintage or something like Ooh. that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that totally describes my style. Like, I love vintage stuff, but I love contemporary. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I made a, a parame with my own font and did some classic 80s splatter painting <laughs> on that square, and that was where my love for making logos and brands and businesses started, even though it wasn't actually a business. It was, it's still there, I think, right? I think they finally painted over oh, it. Oh, did they? They asked if I was okay with it. I think we took a picture. Oh, you should have, like, <laughs> cut out the tile to make it, like, your first. I know. You're such an entrepreneur. I can still see it in my mind. Like, I could, I could recreate it for sure. Yeah. 
That's super cool. So that really was like the foundation of your like entrepreneurial spirit, your creativity. Um, so at a really early age, you were thinking about all these things. Having my own business, for yeah. sure. I, I had done lots of little things, you know, pretend play in the past. But yeah, that was the first, like, I created my own business name mm-hmm. and this was going to be a thing. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you tell me about your next project or your next kind of startup? I think it was called the Funky Junk. Yeah. Right? Okay. So fast forward. I mean, I did the daycare thing <laughs> right. somewhere along there. I mean, I didn't just do daycare. Shining stars. Yeah, shining stars. I had a logo. (laughs) I had a booklet. Like, I had branded paperwork, everything. (laughs) So, Funky Junk was a little cottage house that we turned into, like, a vintage. There was vintage things for sale, but I also made things, like, really cool magnets, fluffy pens. Purse. Did you make, like, purses or something? Yeah, yep. I sewed some really cool handbags and purses. And also... We used, I say we, because my friend April, we went into business together, and we also sold stuff on eBay. So as we're scavenging to find stuff to go in the stores, we'd also sell the really good stuff on eBay, and then we would sell stuff for other people on eBay, too. But we called that the Funky Junk Storehouse. That only lasted, like, three months. But you learned so much (laughs) about, like, the online world, right? Because you said, wasn't there a lady who made, like, $13 million or, like, sold her company? Yes. So a big part... So even when we closed the storehouse, we kept doing stuff, and we just did it out of April's house. And a big part, like, probably six months, a big part of what we did was buy vintage clothing and sell that on eBay. And it was so labor-intensive. Like, first of all, finding all of the clothes, measuring them putting them on our mannequin we bought a mannequin which anybody knows me we have the mannequin to this day <laughs> I love mannequins I've always wanted one since I was in high school I had a Gumby before that that was my mannequin in high school I had a Gumby you know what that no, is no what's a Gumby <laughs> <laughs> he's a green like cartoon character like giant green like stretchy thing but I had a blow-up Gumby in my room that was part of my decor it brought the green oh Gumby okay yeah, I just looked yeah. it up on the internet yes I know what that, is. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first mannequin but anyway so I got to have this mannequin which is really the whole goal of the vintage thing I think so um but yeah then I I recently was listening to a podcast about this lady I think it's girl boss or something like that like it's somebody people have heard of and that's how she started was selling vintage clothing on eBay and she sold her company for like $13 million, something like that. Wow. And I was like, that could have been me. We were doing that before it was a thing. So yeah, it just goes to show anything you really stick with and put everything into, you can turn it for into sure. something. But I was like scattered in so many different directions, really up until Coffee and Nosh. So I never really put 100% of my time and energy into any one business until coffee and Nosh. right do you remember i had my birthday party there one year yeah that's right <gasps> yeah and all your friends made pens yes pens and little buttons yes but i still have the button yes. maker we're gonna yeah. bring back coffee you and Nosh do buttons you have the buttons season. but also you started your t-shirt printing yes there too, screen right? printing yeah you still do that you do all the branding for coffee and Nosh. yeah a big part of what we so also when we shut down the storehouse we sold stuff on etsy And so a lot of the handmade things we had in the store, that was an outlet to sell them. And during that time, Etsy had Alchemy. Anybody who's like an Etsy original will know what Alchemy is. It was a huge, big deal. People would put in requests for custom orders, and then you could, like, bid them. So we got a ton of, like, T-shirt. People wanted custom T-shirts, like, Mm -hmm. of their favorite person, or they wanted them to look a certain way, or inside joke T-shirts, you know. 
And so we bid a lot of those jobs and we would usually underbid people so we could get good deal, yeah. you know, get sales. And so we learned the whole screen printing process. Oh, we were doing it in the basement of April's <laughs> house. It looked like a meth lab or something. <laughs> it was like in a dark room and all these lights. Oh and But now I don't screen print our t-shirts. I try to keep our logo and everything really simple so it's easily able to like be made into merchandise type right. stuff. So um, yeah, I bought a heat press and a vinyl cutter and so we do vinyl t-shirts. But I don't know. The end of the season last year... <laughs> I was like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I'm hiring somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, we go through so many t-shirts and Ugh. sweatshirts and jackets and hats and aprons and, you know, anything else in a season because we're working like five, six days a week. Yeah. And when you only have two colors of shirts, you kind of need and like... And you're hard on them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sweating every day, having to wash them. So yeah, we're gonna have to figure something out yeah. for next year. Cause... I got Terry Jones. He is, he's my screen print go-to guy. Like good. he's really, really good. Yeah. I just thought, oh, I can save money doing it myself. But yeah. then when I start adding the time, You're it's like, like no, nope, not worth no it. Way. So <laughs> another part of the story that people don't know that you're going to talk about is you purchased a home for $800. Yes. So tell me a little right. bit about the abandoned church and how that became your house. Okay. The whole church part is definitely another story, but we bought a church. A single lady had gotten it from somebody else and she decided she was going to move and she didn't want the house anymore. It was a lot of work or the church. <laughs> she was, she was converting it into a house. She wasn't sure, maybe a daycare. Mm -hmm. And so she had done a couple things. She had gotten a giant, um, a clawfoot tub, a vintage one. <gasps> which we still have. We redid. Oh, is that yeah. downstairs? Yeah, that came with the house. Oh my gosh, I didn't house. even realize that. Yeah, it came with the house. Such which a nice is, tub. Yeah, I oh love gosh. that tub. Yeah. And also they had the water line moved. The water pressure was terrible in this building. So that was a huge undertaking. And she said that was like $800 worth of work. And so she's like, I'll take 800 and call it good. Oh <laughs> so I'm like, gosh. okay. And so, yeah, we got this old church for $800, and it sat for, like, over a year, probably, before we had the money to start working on it. Mm -hmm. And we, like, started gutting it. But anyway, our original intention was to make one of the big rooms in the upper level. Uh, my husband was doing uh, computer repair at the time, just kind of, like, between jobs. And we thought, oh, we'll open a computer repair shop on the, the main level. We'll live in the basement. And, but then plans changed and we as we went forward we turned the basement into our house we gutted the whole thing did all of our own work had help from friends and family of course completely turned that it kind of like an apartment yeah. three bedrooms and went to ikea that's a whole nother story yeah yeah lots of ikea stuff. and then at this point we kind of knew the upstairs the main level of the church was going to, we didn't know what it was going to be, but we knew it was going to be some type of ministry. Right. Because we'd still been involved with church, with ministry and that kind of thing. Wow. That's a, that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> but it became Java Hub. Yes. <laughs> How else do yeah. I get to it? No, that's uh, the best way. I mean, we could talk for hours about like the process of coming to it. Yeah. But you decided you want to do something community focused. And yes. so you were just decided that the way you're going to reach people in this community and minister to them in like an unconventional way was to open... The Java Hub. Yes, a nonprofit. We actually had a nonprofit that had a food pantry and we did mentoring for people. And so we wanted a place, though, that people would come where we could meet people and would become a place in the community. 
And so the nonprofit decided, let's open a coffee shop because mm-hmm. also we didn't want to get in this cycle of having to fundraise every yeah. year to do our projects. So we're like, if we can have something that um, is able to generate revenue to keep the nonprofit going, and we thought coffee shop because we all love coffee. Yeah. So it wasn't just me. It was a board of eight or seven people plus me, so eight of us. And our family was like, well, we will basically donate our space and you can do the coffee shop up there. And so the main level of our house turned into a coffee shop, Java Hub. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Apartment downstairs, coffee (laughs) shop upstairs. Yeah. So talk about the process of kind of developing that and how that led on to other projects, which eventually did become Heartland Coffee. Yeah. Okay. So part of the nonprofit work, we we really started one direction and we kind of shifted to another direction and and what was supposed to be the thing that funded the mission actually became the mission so the coffee shop um, attracted youth in our community Uh, we started a youth group there at that time the churches really didn't have anything going on for Mm -hmm. youth and so we tried to fill that gap Uh, We tried to do things that people weren't doing already because we didn't want to, like, steal from this or that or do something better than whatever. So at that time, there were no food pantries in town. Um, There was no youth group in town. And so we learned from working with the youth. For one thing, the poverty rate in our town is really high. Actually, Mm -hmm. um, the new stats that came out, it's lowered quite a bit, which I'm super excited about. But at this time, it was in the 25% range. And... So we had worked with several different adults and families, and the conclusion we came to is that the youth were really the ones that we had a chance to make a difference with. And so with my own experience with starting businesses and just having side hustles where I could, you know, make some money quick if we Mm -hmm. needed extra for Christmas presents or or clothes for school or whatever, I thought, let's, if we could, like, help kids start businesses where they could start raising money, earning money, um, that might really help them out of poverty, you know, yeah. and be able to do more for themselves. And so we had um, several kids that came in that were interested in just learning about coffee and volunteering for the coffee shop. And part of the discussions came about that we should have a mobile coffee truck. Mm-hmm. And at this time, I was also serving as the farmer's market manager in Sioux City. And because I wasn't getting paid, I don't think at this point. I wasn't getting paid right, to you were volunteering. even, yeah, I was complete volunteer for the nonprofit. And so I noticed at the farmer's market, nobody was serving coffee. Like, I think there might've been a lady that was doing coffee beans, but not actual coffee by the cup. Like you couldn't go there and buy coffee. And I would actually leave the farmer's market. I would take orders from vendors and be like, I'm going to <laughs> scooters or wherever. Do you want something and bring coffee back for people? Or you just learn, like, get your coffee before right. you get there. Which is so weird because, like, the farmer's market culture, I mean, on the east and west coast, it absolutely includes coffee. Yeah. So the Midwest, I mean, obviously, is a little bit slower to catch on to culture. And so coffee was not a top priority. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. And I think this, the whole, like, food and coffee Thing, it's difficult. Like mm-hmm. the logistics of it are not easy. Yeah. Versus, I mean, it's not easy to bring your produce there either, but you don't need electricity necessarily. Right. You know, refrigeration yeah. and all that. And so I think that's part of it for sure. And so um, I talked to a couple of the youth here and I was like, what if we could do this as part of Java Hub? 
you guys could get paid to do it, but also part of the funds could go back to the nonprofit. That would, ex- you know, extend the money we would have to do projects yeah. here. And so two of the youth, three of the youth, one of them ended up working for the summer, but he helped get it launched. But two, two main youth were like, yeah, let's do this. And so that's where Java Hub Junior started. The first little coffee The first food. mobile coffee. Yeah. No food, just coffee no food, to start no food, with. just coffee. Yeah. yeah, and we called it Java Hub Junior. Cute little guy. 1960s, vintage camper, adorable. So at this point, you have two youth who are really starting to come into their own as entrepreneurs and yes. really learn from the businesses that you have had in the past and work under you, kind of like an apprenticeship almost. Because yeah. they were really involved with the process. Very involved, and yeah. Selecting drinks and everything. Yep. We sat down and we had many, many meetings. We talked about strengths and weaknesses of each person on the team to make sure people were like doing what was best for their wheelhouse. And then, yeah, going over costing out products and coming up with menu prices. And that was a huge... And then finding inventory and suppliers and all of that. And... I empowered them to, you know, make the phone calls, take the meetings. I would go with them, but really let them lead and make decisions and, yeah, be a huge part of the process. How were you serving, like, what kind of coffee were you, were you serving at this point? Were you focused on quality? Were you focused on, like, quantity, just getting coffee out there? Like, what yeah. was your goal? Okay, so we really wanted to bring quality coffee. Like, at this time... Um, there weren't a lot of coffee shops. No. So you wouldn't think like just four years ago, I don't think Stonebrew existed yet or they were just getting started maybe. Um, we had Pear Street Coffee, which was way up, you know, further on the north side. And so nothing on, you know, that part of Sioux City. Otherwise, Scooter, Starbucks. So yeah. we thought, how can we be different? How can we bring like a really quality coffee and so we started off with pour overs, which is a oh. whole nother <laughs> topic. Oh. I love pour overs. That's my per- personal preference, like for my first cup in the day. And it's really a great way to get a quality cup of coffee. So in this vintage trailer, we started off with just pour overs. Mainly, I mean, it was two part. One, we wanted to be the first people to bring pour overs to Sioux City, and yeah. we were. Nobody was doing pour overs in Sioux City. And so we accomplished that. The other part was, electricity is such an issue in a food truck Mm -hmm. and we didn't want to use the electricity it would take for like an air pot brewer right to brew coffee on the spot right and then you have to worry about water pressure and everything so this is really solution to that yeah and we thought wouldn't it be wouldn't people think it was really cool to like sit there and watch their coffee being brewed right before their eyes farmer's market yeah we thought it really really went with it so (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to talk about that yeah you're gonna find out later in a later podcast that our love for pour overs in our personal lives did not pour over, no pun intended, <laughs> into awesome. the growth of coffee and yes, mash because yes. it was just a tragic disaster. Yeah, so if you're one of those that <laughs> to this day ask if you can get a pour over and we have to regrettably say no, There's you'll a find reason. out why. <laughs> yeah, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> um, okay, okay, so... so- that was the first year of the Java Hub Junior as a part of the nonprofit. Yep, and that would have been in 2015. 2015. Yep. Okay. And then how long did the Java Hub Junior last? Two years. So the first year, um, the two, three youth 
um, ran it along with my husband who volunteered all of his time in the summer and me, all of, all of the, I couldn't work in it because I was also managing the farmer's market. So I would do all the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, the kids, they did the shopping. I mean, they did the prep work, everything too. And so, and Cadbury worked in there as a volunteer because <laughs> she was most way of the too summer young. too. How old were you? Like twelve? Um, I think I was twelve, turning thirteen. Twelve, turning yeah. thirteen. So I got a little twelve-year-old yeah. child slave labor going. Well, on. <laughs> it was so crazy because we didn't know what to expect. I mean, you run the numbers and you know, like what the profit margins should be, and like we owned the um, camper, so there was no debt involved with the camper. Um, and then the kids fundraise to put equipment and inventory mm-hmm. and pay the fees. And so there were no lot, like there was no loss involved. The kids right. didn't have, except to like let down the community who had helped raise money. And I think it was like, they raised like $7,000 wow. to get it off the ground. Um, and the fees alone were almost a thousand of that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, not a lot of risk, but they had no idea, like, when are we going to get paid from this? Which was a great, great lesson. Like, just because you went out and worked today doesn't mean you get a paycheck because yeah. you own a business. And so I don't think they took any money from it until at least several months into it. Wow. And they were, they really didn't spend a lot of money extra, you know. And then towards the end of the summer, they realized, hey, we actually can pay the people that are working for us. <laughs> And so Cattery was the first paid employee, Hey-o. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So sweet, that sweet was money. exciting. And then, so the second year, they both found out how much work it was. And they're yeah. like, we're out. We're done. We don't want this, like, the chain high on our is neck. Over. Yeah. Yeah. We want our summer back. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So it was a great learning experience for them. But we're like, oh, we can't let this go. Like, we have a great following yeah. at that time. We're like, this is great. <laughs> 50 people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> $300 in a, yeah, on a Saturday. <laughs> Eight hours, And I don't know, were they doing food yet the first year? I, I think so. I think what were they doing? Waf- Maybe did you waffle do, like, bites? Waffle. We did. Like, well, waffle. I tried Wazzles. But I, waffles. Yeah, they did. Wazzles was with them. If you remember Wazzles, you let us OG. know. <laughs> you are an OG. <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, don't. We can't we, talk about the Wazzles. We just waffles. did waffles. Just, oh, just yeah, waffles. Waffles. Just oh, waffles. yeah, with a little butterball on top. And with the strawberry, the berries. And oh, the, yeah. Those were good. Yeah, that was your thing was waffles. Duh. Oh, my gosh. Waffles and coffee. And they had, like, Nutella. Oh, yeah. Too. So this coffee um, nonprofit kind of entrepreneurial thing lasted two years. And then they said they were out. Peace out. We're done. That was after year one. Oh, that was after year one. Yeah. So then the second year, year two, I, think I, I managed it. Yes. You worked I worked in, there. in it. I quit the farmer's market so I could work right. in there and manage it. Because I realized, like, okay, I can get paid. Right. Like, we can still raise money for the nonprofit, but I can also get paid to work in the truck. Like, yeah. I wasn't getting paid for everything I did there, but but enough to, like, okay, I'll quit my farmer's market job and I'll do this. Yeah. So we did that whole summer, which is 2016. Yep. And then what happened from there? Then <laughs> I was like, oh, this sucks so bad. This is the hardest work of my life. <laughs> and I mean, keep in mind, I was still, I was doing two or three businesses on top right. of that at the same time. Right. You had... I mean, I was managing Java Hub yep. still trying to keep that afloat and trying to grow it. And then I had Resolve Tribal Fitness that I had launched and I was trying to keep that going. And then, um, 
I guess that's the two main things. I mean, there's other things like I homeschool. And yeah. Crazy. My son was a senior in high school. <laughs> and all that. So um, I was like, something's got to, I, I can't do this. Food truck life is such hard work. Yeah. And this little vintage camper did not make life easy. I mean, we had, there were so many things that I thought if I could just get rid of those things and make those easier, then maybe I could keep doing this. Yeah. But I started looking for different options. We, the nonprofit was like, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to volunteer in there. And if you're not willing to keep volunteering but getting paid, then we don't really want to keep this going. There aren't any youth that want to do it. Like the word had gotten out. This is tough. (laughs) Well, and at that point too, like the Java hub in your, on the top of your house wasn't doing amazing either. It kind of. It was doing okay. Um, But yeah. It was obvious we would never have the volume in our town to pay what somebody would need to get paid. Right. You know. Um, so you couldn't go past the whole volunteering and paying people to work right. there. Right. Yes. I mean, I think there's ways we could have as far as our kitchen really wasn't big enough to do a ton of food. Oh, it was tiny. And we knew like food was a way to up our ticket average. But yeah, and we were only open on. Yeah. I just wasn't willing to like put my whole life into mm-hmm. the Java Hub. Um, especially cause I had different things going on. And yeah. I would say at this time, our family was starting to get annoyed with just having feet above our head every sure. day and, you know, just no privacy mm-hmm. at all. And even if people weren't coming into our home, we could hear people coming into our house, our yeah. building yeah. <laughs> every day. Even if I didn't have to work that day, it was still like people were coming in and out yeah. every single day. Well, I mean, you probably felt ob- obligated to spend all of your hours, you know, and even when we would come over to hang out as a family, it's like we wouldn't go downstairs to hang out as a family. We would we hang, hang out at the Java at the Java. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the food truck, we had gone that for done that for two years. Um, going into 2017, so in the winter to 2016 2017, we tried to sell the camper. So mm-hmm. Aaron and I own the camper and. We're like, let's, and the, the nonprofit didn't want to go forward. So they were like, well, we'll sell the equipment. You guys can sell the camper. Let's get out of this. And we had a few people look and nobody interested. And so then we were, oh, so also at this time, enter Cuneo. Oh, yeah. Which I was part owner from like October to February. <laughs> Short lived business. Short lived. Shout out and, to Cuneo. Yeah. Cuneo, which rest Doesn't, in peace. Yeah. Rest in peace, Cuneo. <laughs> And let's see. Was that also when you had Heartland Coffee yes. Co. going? Before that, uh, we had started Heartland Coffee Co. Coffee subscription box. Yes, that was with Parker and Caterbury. And we were getting people to subscribe. That gave me life we during were, college. <laughs> yeah, life. It, was, it was awesome. It was. Like, that's how we sampled so much coffee. We got, I don't know, over 100 pounds of free coffee sent to us from different places all over the Midwest. We got to really, like, explore different tasting notes and roasting levels and all of that stuff. And we were able to find our current vendor, which we love, Cafea. Shout out. Woo! The best. Us, you are the best in the Midwest. We've yes. tried so many. Yeah, I had those things going on. We also then started, after Cuneo, Movement Collective, which lasted maybe two months. <laughs> I was just really, during this time, exploring what do I want to do? Like, yeah. where are my strengths? What am I good at? Movement was all about social media, because I've always been really good at social media, computers in general. So we went to venture school. And that was the tipping point because that is when you really like 
put your idea to paper and and start finding out like how viable your idea is, how much you can actually grow this thing. And I just had, I don't know, a revelational moment. Actually, I had a friend a few months before that. I'm like, I have all these things. But the one thing that's actually making money is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, that's the thing you should do if it's the only one that has actually made money. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to hear that. And I'm like, it's the hardest thing I've done in my life. And then I'm like, of course, it's the hardest thing, you know, success and it doesn't come easy. Like yeah. that's such a lie and such a myth. So it was like that realization that I was like, oh, it makes money and it's hard work. Okay. I think this is a formula for success. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> it's so simple, Business but yeah, it's so profound. <laughs> yeah. Venture school. We decided, I, I decided this is it. I am taking everything that I've been doing and I am quitting. First mm-hmm. of all, I am quitting Java hub. Which I'm, for you is a, Big huge, deal. Huge deal. I, I don't think I've ever seen you just focus on one thing and like give it your all up until this point. You've yeah. always had a thousand things going on, which was so fun to watch and to be a part of. But once you had that light on that you were going to do this, you totally changed your perspective. I think it's timing too. Like I, my kids were older, didn't need as much of my attention. Um, my husband's in a secure job, so he's able to support, you know, if this thing doesn't go over we're going to be fine. Like we didn't need my income. So Mm -hmm. it really like all of the timing came together and all the past experiences came together for this moment. So it was actually like just such a relief. Like, Oh, I can quit everything. I'm going to quit everything. (laughs) (laughs) I finally have that one thing I can quit everything for. Yeah. So that was, yeah, exciting. So how just kind of end this podcast, because we're going to go and talk about kind of building the Coffee and Nash truck and the brand next episode. But just to kind of let the listeners get a little bit perspective on how all of your failures leading up to this contributed to your one success. So I talked about the statistic in the beginning, which is 9 out of 10 businesses fail within the three years. What the listeners don't know is that previously to Coffee and Nash, you had owned or been a part of nine other businesses. And Heartland Coffee and Nash is number 10. Number 10. Here we go. Number 10. Isn't that amazing? Canterbury's like, oh my gosh, I know that. I hate fitting stereotypes too. Yeah. So that's what's so funny yeah. about it. So, like, so how, stereotypical. how do you think each one of your failures, I wouldn't say failures, one, each yeah. one of your lessons has contributed to your success so far in Coffee and Nosh? It's crazy because I can look at every single business and see how it has um, led up to this point or contributed to where I'm at now, the things that I learned. And yeah, I, I don't. I don't consider all of them failures and probably none of them. I probably don't consider a single one of them as an outright failure, like more of a decision. (laughs) Like, oh, that's not working. I'm done with that. Oh, this isn't good for my life. I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. And so, and yeah, I've heard the quote too, where um, it's only a failure if you didn't learn something from it. And so timing is a big one. Um, but yeah, each and every business, I've taken something from it and I'm using it or incorporating it into Coffee and Nosh, which is super cool. And I think encouraging to any listeners out there, if you're in a spot right now, you're in a business or you're in a job and you think this is the biggest waste of your time and you know you have a dream and you're not there yet, just know like what you're doing right now is serving a huge purpose for what your future is. Yeah. I love Boom. that. Boom. Wow. Thank you guys so, <laughs> that was so profound. Wow. Yeah. Speaking so much, 
like prophetic words right now. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for joining us. I know it's been a little bit of a long podcast, but it is super important. Thanks, Stacey, for telling us your story. Next time, we're going to start talking about building, building. coffee and gosh. We're so exciting. Tell you so many good truck stories about how we switched over from the Java Hub to Heartland Coffee Nash, how the brand came to be, the food, names of the recipes. It's going to be so much fun. So make sure you guys stay tuned and follow us on Instagram like and us Facebook. On Twitter? Do we have Twitter? <laughs> yeah, we do have we Twitter. We have a Twitter. I'm not super great at it yet, but we're Snapchat. Instagram's the main place and yes, Facebook. We'll get there. And remember to keep it real, keep it fun, thank the one. Hustle a ton. Nash must This episode produced by Rue Recording. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty that damn was good. good. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs>